For Cybercrime Radio, I'm Steve Morgan, founder of Cybersecurity Ventures and editor-in-chief at Cybercrime Magazine. Welcome to Cybertrust and Transparency, a Cybercrime Magazine podcast series brought to you by Security Scorecard. Security Scorecard is the leading security ratings company, which is used by more than 2,500 top companies, including McDonald's, Sally Mae, and many others. To learn more about our sponsor, visit securityscorecard.com. I'm here today with Andrew Jaquith, an advisory board member at Security Scorecard and former CISO at Covington & Burling LLP, a U.S. law firm with more than 1,300 lawyers in 14 offices globally. Andy, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks very much. Pleasure to be here. We have some guests where I just have to ask them to introduce themselves. Your background is vast. You have so much experience. So maybe you could distill it down for our listeners and give them your background. Sure. I'm Andy Jakewith. I'm the Managing Director of MarkerBench Boutique Consultancy, offering services to clients working on high-risk and high-stakes cyber projects. But I've had a long career in cyber, starting in the early days with At Stake and my friends at The Loft and Chris and Dill and Mudge and all those guys and a lot of colleagues. I've spent time in investment banking. I've been in three startups with two successful exits. And uh, most recently, I've worked in big law, worked in a lot of different settings, and I'm happy to be here today speaking with you. Wow. We had Chris from Loft on with us and some other people from Loft. So the combo of that and big law, very uncommon. And really, what a background you have. Thanks. So let's jump in. Given your background, I think you can speak to a lot of what we've been asking CISOs and security leaders about. And I want to start off and just ask you about cybersecurity metrics and KPIs and how these should be presented to CEOs, even boardroom executives, and how should a security team's performance be measured? I did a book quite a few years ago called Security Metrics, Replacing Fear, Uncertainty, and Doubt that took a stab at addressing some of these topics. And I think in the years since then, I've been able to refine the approach and gain more insight in what is asked for at the board and senior management levels. But I think what it really starts is getting a good balanced picture of risk and boards have to trust the CISO until the point where they discover they can't. You know, I like to say that when nothing happens, you've had a great day. So how do you bring that nothing to life, right? How do you show that the duck's are paddling furiously under the water, doing a great job reducing your risk every day. I split this into a couple different pieces, but one of them is I like to use key risk indicators that say something about the likelihood that you might be breached or that you might have a problem. And the good news is there are some key performance indicators, things that you know about your controls that are actually really excellent proxies for risk. So just for instance, I like to mention how many exploitable or high risk or critical vulnerabilities you have on your external perimeter. Why? Well, that is a control metric, right? It says something about how good you are at patching or fixing vulnerabilities, but it's also a really good proxy for risk because we know that exposed infrastructure gets popped, right? So it's extremely predictable that if you have something open on your perimeter, it's going to get attacked. So it's an excellent metric to put up in front of senior managers. The other things that I like to give some transparency to is the risk and issues backlog. So every organization worth its salt in the cyberspace is in the business of identifying risk and putting it on a ledger somewhere. And that gets prioritized, it gets signed, it gets worked. How big is that ledger? Are you making a dent in it? What's the size of the burndown effort that you have to do, whether it's in time or people or hours or years, right? How big is it? Is it getting bigger or smaller? Are those ducks' feet paddling as fast as you expect them to? So I like velocity and burndown measures for these kinds of things that give you a sense of how big that pile of risk is. 
I do like external ratings. So I often will present a snapshot of what some of the external ratings providers say about me, because frankly, it's a good picture into how customers are going to start a conversation with me. And that's just a great thing to surface. And then frankly, there are some urgent and important things that need to be done typically with your endpoints and servers. So patching, what was the last patch cycle like? How did we do? Did we hit our 99, 99.5, 98% on-time patch rate for all patches, regardless of severity? If we did, that's going to make me feel pretty good about what the next month is going to bring. And if I can string months and quarters of those together, then I have a, a good sense that some of those immediate risks that affect end users and, and server operators are getting dealt with. So hopefully that gives you a good sense, Steve, of some of these. It does. And I want to touch on something you brought up, ratings. We have a lot of Fortune 500, Global 2000 CISOs who come on with us, generally from major enterprises globally. And this is a topic, ratings, security ratings, where the CISOs are very divided and we're not used to that. We have people come on, we talk to them about ransomware, we talk to them about generative AI, you name it, go down the list. And maybe they don't want us to ask them about their company in particular, but they're happy to talk about the topic. That's not the case with security ratings. We get a lot of pushback and there's definitely two camps and nothing in between. So in your opinion, why would it be that some CISOs just don't want to touch this, don't want to discuss this? I think the historical issue or bias on this has been attribution, that some characteristic has been attributed to a company with that they're not patching fast enough or their browsers are out of date or they've got edge exposed services or their digital footprint is big or whatever it is, right? Or that's not my domain, right? That's somebody else's. So there's that. But honestly, this is not uncommon with other kinds of business to business services. Look at Dun & Bradstreet, for example. Everybody uses them. And of course, we know that occasionally they get a thing or two right, but you have the ability to fix them. and the ratings business has come a long, long, long way in the 20-ish years or so that they've been around. So, you know, for me, I look at this almost like a knowledge audit, right? So this is something attributed to Winston Churchill, right? Why didn't I know? Why didn't my advisors know? Why didn't I ask? Why wasn't I told? In many ways, information about your attack surface, your external perimeter, your supply chain, the kinds of things that the rating vendors can give you, that's just adding to your knowledge set. And you should use it as a source of challenge and ability to gain more insight into yourself and your organization. It's a good thing. And there's really no need to be defensive about it. Given your big law background, I imagine you've spent a lot of time analyzing the solar winds and Uber data breaches. There have been others recently that test the boundaries of personal liability for company executives. This is something relatively new. One of the key questions in one of the cases is whether or not the company exhibited standard of due care in its day-to-day -day cybersecurity practices. And I'm wondering, in your opinion, how will this impact other organizations and how they handle cybersecurity transparency? and measurement? Great question. And this is so timely. I put up a pretty provocative LinkedIn post on this and it got 25,000 impressions or something, right? Not that I normally track those things, but holy crap, that went big. And it's controversial because you can't really know what's the state of somebody's program unless you're actually in it, right? And I have really no judgment at the moment. I can't levy any judgment about what they did right or wrong. I will tell you that the complaint doesn't paint a good picture and you got to look at that quite seriously and you got to see where the evidence takes you. But it suggests that the SEC is effectively trying to sketch out some regulations and guidance kind of in slow motion using solar winds as a test case. And there's lots of speculation on this about what it will lead to. It could be good. 
it could also be bad. It could be bad because it makes the CISO the scapegoat, right? And anything bad that happens in the cyber sense, well, it must be the CISO's job. He screwed up or she screwed up. Get rid of them. But as we know, managing risk in a large, complex organization really takes a village. And the CEO typically signs a SOX 404 declaration around effectiveness of internal controls, not the CISO. Client security statements tend to be vetted by marketing departments. The CISO doesn't have veto power over that. Risk issues that get surfaced are fixed by technology teams, not by the CISO, right? So there are governance committees, typically other kinds of apparatus that are put to play to managing these risk issues into the ground. So we don't know what their internal dialogue was like, although the evidence seems to hint at it. But I think this is going to be a real test case. It's going to put a lot more scrutiny, not just on the CISO, hopefully, but in a good way on the rest of the organization about how you prioritize and deal with cyber risks in relation to everything else you're doing, the daily risks you're taking in the market, the technology bets you're placing, and all the other competing budget priorities. It's going to really bring that to the fore. So how you deal with risk, let's turn our attention to Washington, D.C. The White House National Cyber Strategy shows that U.S. government is going to take a data-driven approach to cybersecurity. This is across public and private sectors, and I want to emphasize that it includes private sectors as well. And there's going to be annual progress reports on the implementation of the cyber strategy to, quote, measure its effectiveness. I'm not sure exactly what that means, and I'm wondering if you have any insight and how can cybersecurity leaders in the public and private sector ensure they've got trustworthy, reliable data that measures cyber resilience and effectiveness. I think it's great to be taking more of a data-driven approach. The trick here is whether it's going to be data-driven that is sort of based on questionnaires and self-assessments, and people have self-interest in making those look good and aren't always looking at ground truth, or whether it'll be more empirical in nature. If it's more empirical and it's relying on facts on the ground that you can instrument, that you can measure, that's going to be good. I think the other is accuracy in some ways, this may sound contradictory, doesn't matter as much, or precision rather, doesn't matter as much as accuracy. Are you directionally correct? Are you continuing to improve? Are you better this year than you were last year? That's going to be important. So jury's out on this. I'll I'll be paying attention to see the path that they take. But I would hope that we start to look at some more empirical measurements rather than self-assessments. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. Why do we keep secrets? They're mysterious, kept under lock and key, only available to a select few. But part of the problem with secrets is that they keep most of us out. What if we got rid of secrets, made everyone aware of their cyber risk, and transparency a priority? Knowing what's behind your security rating and where the data comes from not only builds trust, but restores it. In today's dangerous world of cybercrime, you need to know who you can trust in an instant, the risks you face, and who you can call. Security Scorecard is the security ratings response and resilience company. Security Scorecard created the trusted, must-have standard for measuring cybersecurity. Because cyber resilience isn't built on secrets. It comes from knowing your strengths and identifying your vulnerabilities. The world needs a common language to interpret cybersecurity data and communicate risk. With accuracy and transparency, cybersecurity becomes a team sport. Know in an instant whether an organization deserves your trust and show others you deserve theirs. With 360-degree insights, you protect your organization, stay proactive, and preserve trust. To learn more, visit securityscorecard.com. And now, back to the podcast. 
So Andy, I want to zero in with you on CEOs. PwC does a great job. They put out their annual CEO study, and this year's edition focused specifically on trust. And they found that 91% of business executives believe their company's ability to build and maintain trust improves the bottom line. And 79%, almost 80% of consumers said that a company's protection of consumer data is instrumental to building trust. How do you think companies are doing in terms of being transparent about their cyber risk management strategies and their overall cybersecurity posture to maintain the trust of their customers? Not well. Most of what you see in public disclosures and risk statements, they're very boilerplated. SEC called this out in the SolarWinds complaint. They're right to do it because all the cyber risks listed are very, very generic. Now, how much do you actually put out there from a transparency standpoint? I think there's a case to be made that too much disclosure isn't good, both from a competitor and state actor standpoint. So I think we've got to work through this. What companies do, though, is they'll commission independent audits and assessments where somebody has gone through and vetted the effectiveness controls, SOX 404 being one example, right? If you look at a publicly traded company, if you've hired a good auditor, like a PwC or an EY or the like, they're quite rigorous about looking at ITGCs, at least certainly my own personal experience working in an investment bank, right? That stuff is incredibly serious and very quantitative. And so, you know, if you've got 28, 30 IT general controls ranging from authentication to authorization, backup, resiliency, and the like, change management, and so forth, and that's been vetted and tested on a quarterly basis, you've got reasonable assurance that that's a good program. But it all depends on what the standards are used by, right? Some of the ISO 27000 isn't particularly deep. Deep. SOC 2 type 1, not particularly deep. SOC 2 type 2, a bit deeper and more rigorous, right? So I think we could all do with a bit more transparency into what kinds of assurance vehicles companies commission and the seriousness of them and how much time. And unfortunately, those are expensive. The deeper you go, the more continuous you measure the effectiveness of these kinds of things on an evidence basis, the more expensive those audits are. And of course, they're all paid for by the company. So there's always a tad bit of a conflict of interest here. So we'll see how it goes. I think that's the closest we've got to transparency. It's not bad. It could use some improvement. It's what we've got, and it probably needs to evolve a little bit. So Andy, you've been around for a while. I have been too. If we go back 20 years ago, we'd never be having a conversation about third and fourth party risk. Or if we were, it would probably be more abstract than it is today. But of course, now this is a burning hot issue. So I want to bring up another study. This one was from Scientia Institute and Security Scorecard. And they found that almost 100%, they say 98% of organizations globally have relationships with at least one breached third party. So the question for you is what should increased transparency of cybersecurity ratings play in better protecting organizations from third and fourth party risk? It's a great study, and I know the Scientia and the Security Scorecard people individually and as entities pretty well, so I'm just surprised the number wasn't 100%. I think the, the ratings here, I think, can play an important role because in many ways, when you're instrumenting a lot of companies at scale, looking at their external attack surface and deducing relationships between parties, that's incredibly helpful. And where I think we're going to see this go is increased empirical insights into the health of supply chains. That's a very, very good thing. Just to give you one worked or burning example here, 
over the summer, the Citrix Netscaler devices had a serious zero day, like an actual real one, right? Where threat actors were circulating exploits in black market forms and so forth. And after a month of that, the vendor finally released a patch and everybody just scrambled to fix it. And then in October, there's another one. And I'm not really trying to pick on Cisco here, but if you're running a risk organization and you've got a third-party risk management program under you, you want to know not so much who's got Citrix, because a lot of firms do, but who got popped, right? Who's vulnerable? How did they actually apply the patch? Can you deduce that externally? That's incredibly important to know. And it's way better than what a lot of firms do, including some I've worked at, which is you blast out a questionnaire to every supplier you can think of and say, do you have Citrix? If yes, check here. If yes, do you have plans in place to immediately, oh, oh, come on, right? This is not helpful. I want to know if my data has been compromised today or if it's likely to be next week. And it's far easier to just go to a place where I can look for it as opposed to have to send out an endless stream of questionnaires that frankly, everybody sends boilerplated responses back on. So Andy, we interview, as I said previously, a lot of large enterprise CISOs. And I have to say, when I get into critical infrastructure, we've interviewed some of the largest gas and power CISOs and utilities. It just, you think through what they're dealing with and what the exposures mean, and it really makes you uncomfortable. And I want to ask you about critical infrastructure. There was some research put out by Security Scorecard. They found that 48% of critical manufacturing organizations have a C security rating or below. And you would know better than I do what a C is, but I certainly don't want my kids getting C's in school. And I suppose that we don't want our organizations getting C's in cybersecurity. So what are the primary reasons, in your opinion, that critical infrastructure organizations are struggling to reduce their cyber risk? This isn't necessarily my specialty area, although I've got lots of friends who work in this space. But in general, you know, in the critical infrastructure space, the dominant impulse is it's working great. Don't touch it. And that's because you've got extreme uptime requirements. There's a reason for the phrase utility grade service, right? Because it means it's always available. You expect you're going to get power. You expect you're going to get water or sewer and so forth. And that means you don't take much risk of anything around downtime or anything else that might affect the plant. And I think that's really the driver of it. I think also, frankly, you know, a lot of the crit infra organizations don't necessarily have deep tech stacks or staffs for that matter. And that I wouldn't say they're, to use Wendy Nather's phrase, they're not exactly living below the security poverty line, but many of them are probably pretty close. Well, good insight there. I want to close out asking you one final question. If you're back in the saddle as a CISO or the many colleagues that you have, what does it look like today insofar as measuring, evaluating customers and partners? And would actually security vendors be a part of that too? I mean, of course, they're supposed to be secure, but would you be vetting them as well? Absolutely. I find I've used some of the ratings products really as a way to help me get a leg up on what do I need to know about a vendor. Now, this doesn't necessarily apply to like a Microsoft or an AWS, for example. You know something about their teams, right? Both of them have excellent security teams in general, although there's occasional miscues here and there. But generally, you kind of know what you're dealing with, right? Really top flight security works. But for those that aren't an AWS, a Microsoft or a Google or a Cisco or some of the others that have a good in-house team and are running a significant security operation, you need to know some 
something about the vendor. And I do use the ratings products as a kind of check. And I would liken it to the occasionally discredited but still useful analogy of the broken windows theory, right? If you see a broken window, you see edge devices don't look like they're patched. You see a bunch of network exposures. You see a sprawling set of IP addresses in a digital footprint. That tells you something. It doesn't necessarily mean their program's terrible, but it does indicate that, frankly, if their external hygiene isn't that great, their internal program may not be that great either. And so it gives you a place to look. I do think some of the emerging tech around understanding the extended supply chain just gives you some additional information about the context. I'd love to see AI help us here. ChatGPT, can you please tell me all of the suppliers that vendor X uses and tell me whether they're current on all their controls, right? You might be able to get something like that in a future state. And that would be fantastic because it just saves my team some initial time for creating that dossier. And it gives me places to look, some rocks to turn over and some clues to follow. Wow. I'm sure the CISOs would love that. Hey, chat GPT, tell me, has Andy ever missed a patch? (laughs) (laughs) Probably yes, but I'm not going to admit to it. Andy, great feedback. Really great to have you on with us. And I hope you can come back on in 2024. I'd love that. Thank you very much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Cyber Trust and Transparency is a Cybercrime Magazine podcast series brought to you by Security Scorecard, the leading security ratings company, which is used by more than 2,500 top companies, including McDonald's, Sally Mae, and many others. To learn more about our sponsor, visit securityscorecard.com. For more of our media, visit our website at cybersecurityventures.com.